Good morning. Always a pleasure to share God's word with you, and we have some spectacular words from Matthew chapter 11. In life, it doesn't take long to question things. Just ask parents. You have a mom who's taking care of her little toddler son, and she needs to make him lunch, so she puts him down on the ground and begins to turn to make his sandwich, and it only takes a few seconds before that boy begins to doubt his mother's love that she has for him. So his lip quivers, the tears start coming down his face, and he screams out in a cry of, Don't leave me, Mom! She's only a few feet away. But he's not getting what he expects from the person he loves the most. We all have different doubts in our lives. We can react to them differently. Maybe we throw a fit like that little boy. Maybe we feel guilty about our doubting. I'm not supposed to do that. People in the Bible doubted and bad things happened to them. I'm supposed to stand firm and be strong and be faithful to Jesus no matter what. But in Matthew 11 today, you're going to see that doubting and questioning God doesn't have to be a bad thing. In fact, by the end of our time together, you're going to see that Jesus blesses doubt. Matthew 11 teaches us about Jesus through the experience of John the Baptist. And before Matthew 11, John the Baptist was fulfilling his life's mission of telling people about Jesus, preparing them for his coming. He would point Jesus out and say, Look, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. He was extremely confident of that. John said, I have seen and I testify that this is God's chosen one. But he did more than that. He prepared people's hearts for Jesus too. He did that with a message of repentance. Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is near. He spoke of judgment, particularly to the religious leaders, the Pharisees who butted heads with Jesus so often. He took that message of repentance and of judgment to rulers of his time too. One ruler in particular named Herod Antipas didn't really care for what John had to say to him or about his adulterous relationships. And so Herod put John in prison. While that was happening, Jesus was performing miracle after miracle, healings and raising the dead. More importantly, he was preaching a message of love and forgiveness, even for your enemies. And so that message and those works, those miracles, are what lead us into these verses before us from Matthew 11. Verses 2 and 3 read, When John, who was in prison, heard about the deeds of the Messiah, all his miracles and his message, he sent his disciples to ask him, Are you the one who is to come, or should we expect someone else? It really seems like John here is saying, Jesus, I'm confused. What gives? I mean, I was told by the Holy Spirit to go and preach judgment on, those, on these people who hate you. And now I'm hearing that you're preaching love and forgiveness and telling people to forgive their enemies. Plus, I'm in jail and there's no real 
positive prospect of me getting out anytime soon. Are you really who you say you are? Are you really who I thought you were? John's expectations are shattered because his circumstances tell him the opposite of what he was expecting from Jesus. It's not that he told lies about Jesus earlier in his ministry, but because of his circumstances, doubt clouds his mind and his heart. Doubt happens when circumstances tell you the opposite of what you expect. We all have our John moments. We set up certain expectations in our mind for ourselves, for our friends, even for God. And so often we come away disappointed with our expectations because no one can live up to them. I mean, sure, God promises to work out, for the good, work out everything for the good of those who love him, but where is God's goodness when I lose my job? Where is God's goodness when he takes a loved one away from me? Where is God's goodness when I can't kick my addiction? Where is God's goodness when I'm dealing with a failing body and a failing mind that just fades away more and more each and every day? Jesus, what gives? When we fall into that mindset, it's, it's really a trap because we're not looking for God's goodness anymore. We're looking for entitled, easy, happy-go-lucky lifestyle. And when, when you fall into that mindset, you put yourself in a deep fog, kind of like the one we had this morning. You, you, you're going along and you're only concerned about what you can see right in front of you. And when you're doubting, you can't see what's ahead and you don't care about what's ahead because you're so concerned, you're so, you have that tunnel vision that's right in front of you. So you begin to doubt the plans that God has for you, that maybe you're not on the right path. And that doubt can lead to doubting any and all of God's promises. Maybe he really doesn't love me. Maybe God really isn't good. That doubt is dangerous. And honestly, Jesus doesn't bless that doubt. That's the kind of doubt that Jesus, that God punishes in the Bible. And people had that doubt. You think of Zechariah, who was the father of John the Baptist. Zechariah was an old man and he had no children, but the angel Gabriel appeared to him and told him that even in his old age, he would have a son. Zechariah, in his response, doubted God's ability to fulfill what he said. And God punished him. He took away John's ability to speak for the nine months until his son was born. That's bad doubt. But there is good doubt. There's good biblical doubt. And you don't have to look much further after the story of Zechariah. Because that same angel Gabriel appears to a young woman named Mary and tells her that she's going to be the mother of the Savior of the universe. Her response? How can this be? For I am a virgin. Mary still doubted because her circumstances told her the opposite of what she was expecting. She was a virgin. She couldn't have a child. 
But she didn't doubt God and his ability to carry out what he said. She doubted herself. And so after Gabriel told her the truth about God and that nothing is impossible with him, her final response is humble obedience. Even though she probably still had question after question and doubts, she said, I am the Lord's servant. May your word to me be fulfilled. That's the kind of doubt that Jesus blesses. Jesus blesses doubt when it asks about him. This is what John is doing here. He needs clarification about who Jesus is exactly. He needs someone to cut through that thick fog that is clouding his heart and his mind. And notice where he goes with his doubt. He goes right back to the Lamb of God about whom he testified earlier. He doesn't shrink back with the question. He's not afraid to ask Jesus. He's not afraid he's going to be punished or laughed at. He goes right to Jesus because he knows that he has the answers. When you have questions about God, God has answers for you. You can boldly and humbly, at the same time, approach your God in prayer with all of your questions and all of your doubts, knowing that he has the answer. If you do feel guilty about questioning or doubting God, I want to remind you that Jesus even had his moments of questioning his father. In the Garden of Gethsemane, just a few hours before he went to the cross to pay for our sins, Jesus prayed, Father, if there is any other way, let this cup be taken from me. Jesus had questions and he went to his father because he knew his father had the answers. And he didn't doubt his, his father's plan, but he doubted his own ability to carry it out. But at the end of it, just like his mother Mary prayed, he said, yet not what I will, but your will be done. Jesus showed humble obedience to his father's will because he knew his father's will was the right answer. That's a much better solution to your doubt than moping around in it and trying to figure out the questions on your own. It's much more comforting than that friend who means well, but just says everything will turn out, everything will be okay. Think of that little boy who cries every time his mother puts him down or sets him on the ground. He's going to cry no matter how often she says, it'll be okay, stop crying, I'm right here. He's going to keep crying until he gets the reassurance that he's looking for. And Jesus has given you that reassurance because he cared so much about God's plan to save you, about his Father's plan to save all humanity, that he wanted to get it right. No, better than right. He wanted to get it perfect. So before he went any further to the cross, he stopped and he said, Father, are you sure? It's okay for you to ask, Jesus, are you sure? Not in disbelief, not in arrogance, but in humble faith, knowing that Jesus has all the answers that you will ever need. 
That is your reassurance. Jesus goes even further than reassuring you, but he strengthens us and he strengthens John the Baptist with his words in verses 4 and 5. Jesus replied, Go back and report to John what you hear and see. The blind receive sight, the lame walk, those who have leprosy are cleansed, the deaf hear, the dead are raised, and the good news is proclaimed to the poor. John came to Jesus for clarification. And Jesus took John back to the word of God. Jesus is actually quoting words from the prophecy of Isaiah here. And John would have known those words very well. So when Jesus is saying, these things are happening through me, Jesus is basically saying to John, don't look any further. I'm the one you're looking for. You've seen the works in your life already. Jesus blesses doubt because it has seen him. You've seen the works of Jesus in your life. They might not be what you expect. Maybe they're not the miracles you've been praying for day after day after day. But that's when we have to stop and just look at the miracle that we are through God. We were dead in sin and now are made alive in Christ. We're worshiping a God we can't even comprehend. The Holy Spirit lives in your heart and guides your steps every day. The good news is proclaimed to you. You're part of that prophecy. Because of that proclamation of good news, you are the recipient of so many more promises of Jesus. Now I know that doesn't dispel your doubt right away. That's okay. Because Jesus loves doubters. He says so in verse 6. Blessed is anyone who does not stumble on account of me. Doubters are really great in Jesus' eyes. They're above average. They're right up there with the meek and the mourners that he talked about in Matthew 5. Doubt clouds your perspective, but it doesn't cloud Jesus' perspective of you. It doesn't take anything away, any of Jesus' love or forgiveness away from you. In fact, in your doubt, Jesus blesses and praises you. Look at how he blesses and praises John in the next section of verses. As John's disciples were leaving, Jesus began to speak to the crowd about John. What did you go out into the wilderness to see? A reed swayed by the wind? If not... What did you go out to see? A man dressed in fine clothes? No, those who wear fine clothes are in the king's palaces. What then did you go out to see? A prophet? Yes, I tell you, and more than a prophet. This is the one about whom it is written, I will send my messenger ahead of you, who will prepare your way before you. Truly, I tell you, among those born of women, there has not risen anyone greater than John the Baptist. John was great in Jesus' eyes because he wasn't swayed away from his faith by any other public opinion. That's really why he was in jail in the first place. John was great because he didn't take on any comfort throughout his whole ministry. John was so great that Jesus calls him a prophet without equal. 
John spoke so boldly and so confidently about Jesus that Jesus wasn't going to change his perspective on John just because he had one question of doubt in tough circumstances. Jesus doesn't change how he looks at you because of your questions. You can even doubt that you're great, but it doesn't change the fact that you are great because Jesus makes it that way. You can feel small in the kingdom of God, but Jesus is so big, he makes you big. Look at the last half of verse 11. Yet whoever is least in the kingdom of heaven is greater than he, greater than John the Baptist. You can feel weak in a failing body or a failing mind and be okay because your Jesus is so strong. You can feel guilty about the times that you've doubted. Maybe you've made some bad decisions. You think Jesus doesn't love you anymore, but Jesus' works and words reassure you. All throughout the Bible, his love and his forgiveness are yours. So when you prepare, as you prepare for this Christmas season, even when you see the, the hectic lifestyle around you, if you don't see any other good, see the greatest good that you can ever have as Jesus comes to this world to be closer to you, to love you, to live for you, die for you, rise for you, and promise you a blessed place in heaven with him. Those works of Jesus are absolutely vital in our lives especially when tough times come around. Job saw some pretty tough times, but he also saw the works of Christ in his life. Through all the questions and all the doubts that must have been going through his mind, he fought through that fog and he kept God's plan in mind. And he said, the Lord has given and the Lord has taken away. May the name of the Lord be praised. Sounds a little bit like, not my will, but your will be done. Job had the big picture in mind. Even after attempts from his wife and his friends and the devil to tear him away from his Savior, he stood firm, even with all the questions that had to have been in his mind. He said, with total confidence, I know that my Redeemer lives. Nothing else mattered to Job at that time. It's, it's not easy to deal with doubt. I'm not trying to say that. Doubt is a part of our lives just about every day, whether we want it to be or not. But in your doubt about God's plan and God's goodness in your life, you can be patient as you wait for God. Patience makes sense when you have seen God's works in your life. And patience isn't easy, isn't easy either. But it does make a difference. I've seen the difference it makes in my life. And I know some of you have seen the difference that it makes in your lives as well. 35 years ago, when my sister Lane was born, she was diagnosed with a rare genetic disorder called glycogen storage disease type 1A, otherwise known as von Gerke's disease. And if I tried to tell you every last detail of what she's gone through in 35 years on this earth, we'd be here for another hour, maybe even longer. 
To sum up, her liver does not produce the right amount of glucose from the food she eats. The list of side effects is extensive, as is her regimen of medications and doctor's visits. Countless surgeries, ER visits, changing diet, changing prescriptions, it's all dominated her life. I know that she's doubted the plans God has for her. I know that she's questioned God's goodness. But Jesus still blesses her. Because even though she doesn't pray perfectly about her questions, about her doubts, she doesn't perfectly run to her Savior. She has seen the works of Jesus in her life. She sees the miracle of modern medicine keeping her alive, essentially, since doctors told her she wouldn't live to see her 20s. She sees the love of my parents, of her friends, of our extended family coming to support her and encourage her and point her back to her Savior. She sees the faith that God has given her. She's reminded of it every time she goes to church or opens her Bible or prays. She's reminded of the love that Jesus has for her no matter what. And she can say with Job and with all of us in our darkest days, I know that my Redeemer lives and I will live with him someday. When you doubt, go to your Savior. He will refresh you with that promise until it is completely fulfilled and you're with him in heaven. Amen.